Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. Yes. A Swedish kind of black comedy, slow cinema, tableau sort of thing by Roy Anderson. It's the third part in what he's called the trilogy. Mm. His living trilogy. Uh, The first was Songs from the Second Floor in 2000 and the second was You the Living in Mm. 2007. And this film came out in 2014, won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, and it was selected as a Swedish entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, but it wasn't nominated. No. You picked this. Yes. What was your interest? Do you know about Roy Anderson? Um, well, I've obviously heard a lot about him. I, I do think I've seen one of his other films, but uh, I you know when reading the descriptions, actually, it didn't... Nothing came to mind. Nothing came to mind. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure now. I was I was very sure before, and I'm not sure now. And yet I think I would have remembered better because actually I really love this. Right. I laughed out loud. Yeah, quite the a lot. Numerous times. Yeah. Um, so uh, so you know the the absurdist humor is uh, one uh, I share. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's black humor. Well, I would, I think, okay. at least a lot of it. Or at least, uh, m- maybe not all the humour, but the overall tone, I think, has a real kind of existential darkness to it. Ah, yes. But that's different than black humour. It is, but I think I think a lot of that comes out of the humour as well. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, the I... film starts off with a guy um, uncorking a bottle of wine, having a heart attack and dying, and his yes. wife's in the background okay, you're right. cooking dinner, not noticing, singing. It has things like that, you know. Yes, Things um, that, uh, like that that one laughs at. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you so laughed your right. head off at the monkey. <laughs> the, the, yes, I did. There's a monkey with... Well, it's obviously, a, it's obviously an animatronic monkey, but for the purpose, it's a real monkey. And um, its its head is open. Uh, there's tissue with a blood stain. And it's kind of... It's locked into this metal sort of vice that's holding it in place. And its brain is being electrocuted and it's screaming. And there are two scientists milling about not paying any attention to it. Well, it's not only that they're not paying attention. It's that one of them is talking to her husband or partner or whatever and saying, How are you, dear? Are you okay? (laughs) Like, you know, meanwhile the monkey's going, Ah! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You you love that. (laughs) I did love that. (laughs) It's a film that's got a few things like that in it. Although that is a bit outre for the film. A lot of it is, while absurdist, um, is less... Um, that's kind of on the wilder side, the monkey bit. Well, actually, I think a lot of the things are so inventive and imaginative and surreal, mm. really. I mean, I really love it. Yeah, I kind of... Um, we should maybe try and say what the film's about or how it works. So, I mean, I would put it down as, as in the same ballpark as Playtime, which we saw not long ago but less kind of energetic. I mean, I said at the start, it's in the realm of slow cinema, and I think that's true. It's true. I mean, the film is... I wouldn't say it's slow cinema, because it doesn't have long takes or something like that, but it's very gently paced. Oh, I mean, it does have long takes. I mean, they are these things are played out at length, and it's all on a tripod, isn't it? From the, so they are technically long takes. I'm, they're not like show-off long takes. They're not like... Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they're not like the opening of Boogie Nights sort of thing. They're not Bellatar, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so, well, anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's slow cinema or not. It's very gently paced. Mm. There's a lot going on. 
uh, it's kind of deadpan humor. Mm. Yeah, um, a lot of it I find quite theatrical. Yeah, mm. that it's based on repetition. Yeah, it's almost like gags. Is it Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Yeah. Yes, it's Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know. Uh, um, Thinking about selling the toys comes up in repeated scenes. Yeah. And it's always the same spiel. Yeah. So, um, but I think this is very gentle and it's very kind, I think. Um, and it's very absurdist. Um, it's very um, empathetic with people who in the culture, I suppose, would be classified as losers, yeah, as kind of the underdogs, the yeah, kind mm. of people who are poor and... Certainly the toy salesmen. The toy salesmen who live in a flop house. Yeah. Um, and the film is kind of with them in a way, yeah, it kind of... Mm. Um, Where it seeks to understand them. It seeks to understand them. And, and actually everybody in it, you know, it's almost like, you know, they either work in pubs or bars or... They run a cheese shop or a bicycle shop. Yeah, it's mm. kind of, you know, people who are eking out a living, basically. And they're not, you know, uh, they're not handsome. They're not, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of, uh, they're older. They're, yeah, it's almost like kind of, you know, they, they are people who are contemplating existence for a reason. Yeah, and kind of, and part of that reason is, you know, well, what is life about? And, you know, kind of. Mm. Has it been worth it? <laughs> it? It's looking back on it rather than looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, for me, I didn't so much think it was like them contemplating existence, but the film contemplating them. Yes, uh, you know. Um, so, I mean, there's one point where the one toy salesman is listening to a song on the radio, and he mm. says it's this horrible song, but it's so beautiful, and he's kind of brought to tears by it. And that seems to be actually a moment where he is contemplating kind of what's inside and that sort of thing and then because he's then he starts talking about meeting his parents in heaven and they were so nice but i don't want to meet them again and they, to me at least it feels like this huge unspoken thing there about i feel like i've disappointed my parents yeah that's kind of, of what i imagined he was thinking yeah yeah well um, that's what i got too yeah so so i think it is about characters also contemplating existence i do see what you mean it is also the film yeah kind of asking kind of questions of you know what is life about through them well the film the film's title um is based on or it's inspired by a painting by uh, peter bruegel the elder from uh -huh. 1565 called the hunters in the snow uh -huh. and it's this painting you look at it and it's it's this wintry scene and literally hunters in the snow and but there's there is this kind of bare tree in it with just a pigeon on it and you see it, it's kind of in silhouette mm. and you do get the feeling of why Roy Anderson was inspired by this to sort of what was his pigeon thinking about what he's seeing yeah. you know um, and the film kind of see, feels like that pigeon you know so the film begins with um, before the title even comes up begins with an old man in a natural history museum looking at a pigeon on a branch yeah behind, a stuffed bird <laughs> yeah taxidermied pigeon behind this case or behind glass you know it's in a case and he's looking at it for quite a long time, and nothing kind of really comes of it. But for me, they they kind of feel like in opposition. Like he's looking at the pigeon, but it's but the film is sort of telling you through the title, the pigeon is looking back at him. Mm. <laughs> you know, I know. The film has a funny thing going on with animals, actually, throughout a relationship with animals. Yes. Um, so there's the thing with the monkey, which we've mentioned, which is this really cruel thing. Yes. Um, even though you laughed, you you swine. 
Um, but it's, yes, a, it's a very yeah. cool thing to kind of put this monkey in this essentially a torture device in what yes. appears to be the name of science yes um, and then to be ignoring it while while this you know, it's mm. going through this pain that you've set up for it there's the lovers on the beach and the dog sitting next to them there's, that's a much more kind of uh, much more comfortable or much more happy scene mm. you know the dog they like he's feeling her up and they're together and the dog mm. just kind of comfortably sits down next to them and that's very nice and kind of bucolic horses yeah the horses that the that the sort of seventeen hundreds army Charles the Twelfth ride in on, sort of invading this modern day pub. You know that's I, that's actually where the film sort of began to lose my sympathy. I must say. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It was like a, a flight into surrealism, you know, but with a kind of a drab, gentle tone. Mm. And actually, I, I I love that because it also it uses the music. The segue into that scene is the music. That ends uh, Luis Buñuel's Viridiana. Yeah, it's when Paco Raval invites his cousin to have a threesome, <laughs> yeah, and and the the film uh, uh, switches into this rock and roll song, and that's the rock and roll song that right. begins this kind of surreal sequence, you know, where all, you're in a bar and it's a modern bar with cars, you know, you can see through the window. And then comes these horses, and you think, oh, it's like some kind of orange parade or something, <laughs> yeah. right? And then, no, it turns out it is like Charles the Twelfth <laughs> coming the into King the bar. Of uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was that was fabulous, and and actually in that sequence you get a whole bunch of things. So you know, women leave this bar, you know, then by the end of it they're all widows, and you know, it turns out Charles the Twelfth is gay, and he picks up the young barman and kind of. Mm. You know, uh, 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 um, um, brings him into war, into his tent, and he doesn't return. So he's obviously someone who's died. So there are all, you know, in these little vignettes, there are all, all, there are all these questions of existence and what is life about, and you know, so, yeah. Um, and actually, that has a very interesting rhyme with uh, the bar sequence. So you're you're introduced to these two salesmen. Yeah, but there's someone else drinking in the bar, and then it turns out that he's been drinking there for 60 years. Yeah, mm. uh, and then you get a flashback to 60 years ago. Yeah, and uh, uh, you have all the soldiers and the Navy people, and you know, kind of that song where they get a free drink if they kiss the barmaid. Yeah, yeah and of course they all do. And yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah, you know, but that, 1945, right? So, yeah, yeah. so it's another war. Um, Although and, they were neutral, weren't they, Swedish? I don't know. I think so. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, whether they are I don't or know not. Whether that makes a difference or not. Yeah. But. And that scene also has this thing of what, what has this guy's life been about, right? He, he's been there to drink a shot every day for the last 60 years. He's now deaf. Uh, he can't hear people saying goodnight to him, though people still care to say goodnight to him. Uh, he is known uh, to them, and presumably they have some affection for him because the barmaid tells the other guy off uh, for being rude. Mm. Um, yeah, I kind of you you get all of these little um, sideways glances into you know the lives of not even ordinary people. People do seem to be on the margins, or yeah, of society. Mm. I mean, you know, kind of. Uh, so it begins with three deaths. Um, there's a kind of an emptiness to. The decor is very minimalist. People's houses 
are very clean. They don't have things. They don't have objects. Yeah, they, they might mm. have chairs. I would say sparse. That's the word that came to mind for me. Yeah. Okay. So sparse design. I'm wintry kind of. You know, it has yeah. the feeling of like a like a leafless tree. Yes. You know. Uh, it's all drab browns or yeah. Greys uh, or grays, light yeah, greens. That kind of palette. Um, it's very gentle, and at the same time, it has moments. So within this gentle, drab, distant kind of tone with a humorous curlicue edge, you sometimes get moments of savagery. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, this is kind of where I wanted to come on to with the, with the animals thing, um, and I wanted to do it delicately, because I mentioned the thing with the monkey and the kind of abject cruelty that I think is, is kind of being meted out in that scene. Um, and then I, like that kind of led me to think about the abject cruelty that's meted out in one of the final scenes with the um, with the giant copper drum. Yes. So these. I think you're meant to make a connection. I do as well, and but I wanted, like I said, I wanted to do it delicately because to 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 draw a link between the monkey and black people is um, is very racist. Well, racist, yeah. <coughs> and uh, I don't think that's really what the film is doing exactly. I think it's more about our inhumanity. Yes. Um, so, you know, because it's inhumane what's being done to the monkey and it's inhumane what's, what's done to these people. And this is the first time that people in the film aren't Swedish. Yes. Um, so there's these British, they seem to be kind of turn of the century or up to the First World War. Yeah. yeah, very, very uh, kind of high to British imperialism dress, you know, pith helmets and, and so on. Um, and they have this giant copper drum outside that it's like nothing you've ever seen you know it's a real sort of sort of like steampunk i suppose kind yes. of sci-fi device and they they're beating these tribal africans essentially mm. that's what they that's how they're dressed you know yes um and leading them into this drum and they lock the door and then light a fire underneath yes and eventually this thing starts turning and you can only imagine what's like it? what's happening inside yeah they're being boiled alive or something yeah or, it seems to or, be you know yeah. and, and then what happens is you the camera uh, turns, or you cut to a reverse shot, and you see the reflection of this happening on these like screen doors, and they open, and what's revealed is these very upper class British people. Well, they may not well be British, but you know, it could be mm. upper class from just about anywhere in the West. That's how they're dressed: top hats and mm. gowns and such. And they come out, and you know, they take champagne and they observe it. Mm. Um, and that's the, and actually, ha- the film having lost my sympathy about forty minutes in, and then really, I just didn't. I wasn't with it for a long time. This is when I thought, oh, this is different. This is interesting. The film hadn't been political, you know, or kind of overtly. Um, yeah, hadn't been political. It hadn't really been a kind of satire up until this point. And I thought, oh, this is a strong. This is bold. Yes. <laughs> um, is. Without knowing exactly what to make of it. But I think there is something about our inhumanity. In fact, Roy Anderson himself has said, and I, again, I've read this about the film, he said in relation to the title, in relation to the painting of the pigeon, or painting of the hunters in the snow, um, that the film is kind of asking, what are we doing? That's what he said. And this, I think, um, fits in with that. <laughs> well, it, it fits in with that, and it's also saying, well, what have we done? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I think it is trying to make an explicit link. The cruelty to the monkey is, you know, the same kind of cruelty to to black people. And it's for the same reasons, yeah, that they're not considered to be human, or that, you know, we at one point didn't consider them to be humans, or, mm. you know, um, some of us still 
so yeah, I think the, the film has been quite explicit about that connection. I think mm. so. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's important that the cruelty is purposeless as well. You know, you, once once this thing, once this machine, this this drum starts revolving, you you get the impression that there's no useful work being done. This isn't like this isn't like torturing people because they'll row a boat or something. This is for no purpose. As the same with the monkey, it's being it's being. I suppose experimented on, it's being electrocuted, but nothing's nothing's been observed or anything like that. It's purposeless torture. Yes, though I think it's interesting because that is played for laughs. I think. Well, you laughed. I laughed. I think the film is <laughs> trying to elicit laughs. Right. Um, and then what follows it? Yeah, the British Empire tribal thing is really savage. Yeah. yeah? Because there's a scene where you know a woman falls down. Yeah. So. So people fall down and, you know, these British imperialists whip them. But then a woman with a baby on her back falls down, right? Mm. And they whip away. And, yeah. of course, the, all the blows are landing on the baby, right? And kind of no thought or care or, or differentiation. Um, so, 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 you know, you do feel like the savagery of it, really. Anyway, I really love this movie. And, and it's very difficult to kind of put my finger on why, yeah, except... That I think it's almost a film that is worth a revisit, really. It's completely unique. We were talking at the beginning about, you know, how it looks a little bit like uh, Wes Anderson, right? But kind of, you know, like working class Wes Anderson. Yeah, it has a kind of a, of a look, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's also completely different to Wes Anderson. It's kind of low energy, yeah. It's, uh, it's got these rhythms, yeah, mm. that are kind of gentler. Um, it does have like flights of absurdism. Um, it's a lot sketchier, yeah, than Wes Anderson. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting that Wes Anderson comes to mind, but in many ways it's not like Wes Anderson. In many many ways, yeah, it feels very unique. Actually, it's it's like a he came to mind initially for us both. I think and I was yeah. talking about the way it was shot, and Wes Anderson uh, is pointing directly at a wall with no um, no sense of vanishing points and, mm. and, and depth in a frame. Whereas what happens here is actually you're pointing at corners quite often, yes. corners of rooms. So actually you get loads of depth. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes you feel like there's a there's a cartoony quality to what Wes Anderson is doing. He makes his frames feel quite flat. I think that well, that's kind of that's it. that to me at least is kind of a defining feeling mm. that I get when I think about his films. But here, no, you, you, there are foregrounds and backgrounds to everything, and and sometimes they play off each other very interestingly or you know there's action happening in a background that's completely separate to what's happening in a foreground but you're watching them both at once that's why i referred to playtime at the start because mm. I, I i think there is a real although i think we can agree this is lower energy yes. um i think there's a kinship in terms of uh, how it's trying to observe life or observe kind of oddnesses that that crop out of interactions between people and how it's trying to stage things in depth or in different parts of the frame mm. at length, you know, giving you the time to absorb a scene. Mm. I, I see what you mean. I, I wouldn't make too much of that connection either. Um, I mean, I think, you know, to me, this is really like a singular voice. It kind of... Um, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this before. You know, the combination of the drabness, mm. the low energy... Uh, the sympathy, yeah, the, the moments of savagery. Uh, I think maybe also I'm a bit prejudiced because there is something about that Swedish accent, 
right? <laughs> that, you know, it has that musicality, but sure. kind yeah. of low scale, yeah, that it always goes down. And then these working or, or sub-working class people, you know, dying or, you know, not being able to sell their vampire teeth. And yeah, it is kind of, uh, uh, it feels unique in a way, yeah. I do know what you mean. Um, you know, it's a show, I, I can't think of, you know, by name. Well, I mean, I suppose I can. Like, I, I mean, I do think this has a similarity to Playtime. I think it has a similarity to the short film that I mentioned in the Playtime podcast that I recently showed you, mm. the um, the External World by David O'Reilly. Uh-huh. Um, you know, again, a kind of it's a series of vignettes set around a central place. A, a lot of them involving the same characters or the same locations that you revisit and things kind of develop. So these mini storylines. Again, that had higher energy than this. Mm. I think that's a really defining aspect of this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the lower energy and the lower tempo. Um, but I mean, I, I, I do see kinships that it shares with other films well, more readily than in perhaps In terms you of do. the film that you mentioned, you know, this has a kind of a gentleness and a kindness. Yeah. yeah. That I, it's not the same as that short film you mentioned. I mean, I think kindness is also something you see in Wes Anderson's films, you know, but his films are so full of things. They're so energetic in so many ways, visually and so on. Yeah, whereas, you know, this is a kind of a monochrome film. A lot of its effects come from a kind of stillness, you know, and minimalism, you know. So, Mm. um, and I think, you know, this is a film with great depth, yeah, that I feel I've not thought through elements yet right but you feel that in its stance and in its minimalism yeah there are serious questions being dramatized not just asked because you really get a sense of how they're dramatized like so so much of it seems theatrical Mm. yeah um you know the staging the kind of the repetitions the way dialogue is spoken Mm. you know um moments of theater like charles ii coming out down his horse yeah yeah those are theatrical moments you know that are kind of you know staged so and there's that tension between the drabness of you know what you how you're being shown it and you know the theatricality of the concept of the thing yeah i mean that tension um I think you're right, that's there. It didn't do anything for me. I mean, I think overall, I would definitely say this film wasn't my cup of tea. I yeah. think there are interesting things about it. And, and I was really engaged with it for the first 40 minutes mm. until the first Charles XII scene in the bar. Actually the, re- and actually, the reason that I turned off at that scene was not that all of a sudden this flight of fancy showed up with someone from a previous century turning up. It, was, um, it, was, it started off with the toy guys again. Because their spiel about um, the toys that we're selling and we've got the teeth and then we've got this Uh. and then we've got the mask. You'd seen it a couple of times before this and when they showed up in the bar and they're saying we're lost and stuff, they weren't there to sell toys, but of course you know they're going to. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, don't do the spiel again. And so when they started doing that, I thought, no, I've got, I'm just, I, I have lost my sympathy with this right now. And I stuck with the film, obviously, and I continued to give it my time, but... It never won me back over. Yeah. Um, well, it never lost me. So, um, and I love that scene. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed it up until then. I really enjoyed the stuff which I think, which is, I thought was a shame that stopped happening between the um, 
the dance instructor and a student. Oh, I love. And she's that. all over yes. the staff, and they go to dinner, and you just see that in a in, in the background, you know, through the window. Uh, you just see their kind of their their romantic dinner turns into a breakup. Yes, I love that. that's lovely. But you uh, know that stops after then, and I thought, oh, I wanted more of that. You know, yes. that was kind of my, that was my favourites of the of the vignettes. Yes. Um, but I love the relationship between the two guys. You're so mean to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, kind of. Yeah, um, there's something kind of so sad, yeah, uh, uh, about it. We just want to make people have a good time, or we just want to bring joy to people. I forget what they said. And then they bring out those sad vampire teeth. <laughs> they say it's a classic. You think, yeah, it's been there since like 1930, <laughs> and there's no market for any of this. And the laugh machine, then the masks of the toothless men. Right, like it's so pathetic, really. Yeah. And they keep saying we have high hopes for this one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny. You know, I kind of there's something so sad and um, sweet because they don't know, right? You well, know. I mean, do you not feel like maybe they do? No, they do, they do know that these things are rubbish, really. And no, because they have. Because I mean, would that not explain um, the fact that they have absolutely no energy? <laughs> In their, no. in their spiel. No, I, I mean, no. I think because uh, you see that lack of energy in their whole life, but also you see a bond between the two men and a kind of a, a, a care and a looking after in all the sadness. I thought it was very touching. Um, oh, between the two men, sure. But I think when it comes to selling the toys, I think you know, I certainly got the feeling that, that they know they're onto a loser with this stuff. Well, I don't know, because they keep trying and trying, and then, you know, they can't collect on the money owed, they can't pay the people they owe to, you know, and you think, well, if they know, why are they doing it, right? I mean, so, so well, I, yeah, I so went with the idea... Living against the signals, you know. I, I went with the idea that they don't know, you know. I mean, they're not the brightest bobs in... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just... I don't think you have to be to realise, you know, the vampire teeth aren't the biggest seller these days. Well, you know... No, they... I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I kind of... It's up for interpretation, I think. Yeah, and it's not the most crucial question to ask about that anyway, no, I think. I suppose not. So, um, hmm. anyway, I liked it very much, and I'm eager now to see the others. Oh, are you? Yes, you don't have to see them with me, but I'm just oh, saying. Oh, right, okay, we have to do them for the podcast. <laughs> you can report back. I'm really not that keen to see the others. This just didn't... This, this lost me and never got me back, and... So the other thing I thought, which is unfair having only seen it the once, and you know, I think it is a film that probably would open up on mm. repeated viewing or repeated um, you know, attempts to dissect it, is, you know, after we saw Playtime, I know I'm comparing it to it again, don't hate me, um, but it comes to mind, after we saw Playtime, I thought I can find a place for everything that happens in this film, a kind of holistic, there was, there's a, a really holistic feel to what that film's aiming at and the message that it's trying to convey. Um, I feel that a lot less with this. That may just be a personal thing that I haven't dug into it in the right ways, or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or maybe I don't have the tools to access it. I mean, you know, uh, Charles II, who they um, continue the to... Ref- Sorry, Charles XII, who they continue to refer to, um, and and the war that, you know, he's fighting the Russians. Yes. Um, they talk about... Losing half the country. Losing half the country. The, the, the barman mentioned, he says to everyone, you're a widow and your husband died in, I forget Somewhere, where, yeah. Poldava, something like that. You know, is, 
this must be based on real history that I don't know. I can't imagine that it's totally fictional, right? Charles XII has to be a real king. This has to be referring to something. I'm yeah. just not... It, but I, I don't know it. Yeah. You know, so some of these references, some of the cultural and, and historical um, points of reference are not accessible to me at this point. Yes, uh, perhaps. Um, I mean, I feel I really, um, I love it. Uh, my sense of humor really coincides with it or jives with it. Um, I I think all the parts do cohere. Mm. You know, I think um, I would like to explore it some more. I said, you know, kind of, you really feel that it's a film that's asking you to think mm. and to feel, yeah, and without forcing you into it or without being obvious or without symbolizing, yeah. Um, and also you know, that it's a very empathetic but critical film. Yeah, like I said, sometimes, you know, it's it's absurdist and surreal and sometimes it's just really savage. All within, mm. like, this gentle, everyday, yeah, quotidian kind of drabness. Uh, and I, I, yeah, it really kind of spoke to me. Did you find it moving then? Um, How in tune were you with the characters or their plights? Yeah, moving, no. Um, I, I can't say that I found it moving, mm-hmm. um, but I found it critical in ways that jive with me, right? Like, so, so for example, one of the first deaths that we see is the siblings, yeah, going into the mother's deathbed, right? Mm-hmm. Arguing over... Yeah, the, and the, then the, the mother... That she's clutching in her bag still. So. Yeah, the mother's clutching her bag. And actually, all of these relationships come in in that moment. Yeah, the elderly sister tells her brother, you've always been mean. You know, the other one is thinking, oh, well, the doctor says she's not going to die today. But, you know, she'll be another yeah. 24 hours so we, we can go home. Oh, we can't go home and leave her bag with her money. <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah. she's got 70,000 in there, <laughs> plus father's watch and her wedding ring. Like, you know, kind of, that touches a bell with me. I've seen that, right? And, and also there's this fantastic, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Kazan Saki's, um they made it into that film with Anthony Quinn, Zorba. Oh, right, Zorba the Great. You know, where, like, the film begins with somebody dying and, you know, they hire, yeah, all the neighborhood women come to cry, right? Like, right. you know, <laughs> and so they're crying and crying because that's part of the tradition. You know, someone is dying, you go and you weep and loud, ah! <laughs> yeah, but as they're crying, they're eyeing up the cupboards, right? Because the thing... <laughs> so what, they, what do they take home after the person dies, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, so all of those things spoke to me. I mean, I think... In I, very condensed ways, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's certainly something that the film's got going for. It's, you know, despite the fact that it's sort of long and takes its time to get through scenes, nonetheless, there's a concision to everything that it's yes. doing. And it's or it's communicating several things through one character, or things that are there to be interpreted. I think that's true. Um, I mean, I would say that I I I wasn't moved, um, but I really got the character of the um, the the more schlubby of the two toy salesmen, mm. Jonathan. I think it was who who's the one who cries over the song. In fact, that bit. I mean, this is a real sort of sort of. 30-something white guy thing. I remember having the same feeling that he did that song to a Radiohead song. 
Uh-huh. And Radiohead is so the kind of uh, P- Patrice O'Neill, who is this black American stand-up, had this fantastic bit about white guys listening to Radiohead, listening to Creep in particular. It's like mm. he said, "I listened to this song and it did nothing for me." I love it. But white guys, yes. you know, <laughs> like you play it on the radio and they'll crash into the harbour because they start <laughs> weeping. Well, there was no surprises for me, which is um, which is by Radiohead from a later album. And I remember listening to it about fifteen times one night because I just all of a sudden every part of that song started speaking to me. Like it's this guy song. who wants to kill himself. And he's happy to only wish his death, mm. uh, and just and this kind of numb death with di- dying from carbon dioxide. Mm. But the tone of the music has this like nursery rhyme yes. thing going on. It's it's bizarre, and I just and everything the guy was talking about in the film about the song he's listening to, it's beautiful, but it's horrible. I was think I I was thinking the same thing. I remember thinking the same thing when I was listening to No Surprises. So I thought, oh, I get this guy right here, you know. And the bit where he's. Um, uh, sitting outside, he's kind of broken up with his partner at this point, and he sat outside of that kind of um, like like a like coffee stand, I guess. And there are a couple of people sitting around, and he's just kind of at this point, it's like he's kind of the pigeon that we were talking about, mm. observing stuff. Like he sees this girl go past, and she takes a shelf and bangs it against the wall and puts it back on and keeps on going. And he says to the other people there, well, she had a stone in her shoe, mm. and they said, so what? And he says, it's nice. You go, what's nice about having a stone in shoe? He said, no, he got, she got it out. Hmm. He just thought, yeah, that is nice. <laughs> and, then, and then he tries to sell them some toys, um, quite dejectedly, I guess. And, um, and they both just walk off. Hmm. And he's left really on his own, so isolated, sitting there. And I thought, oh, I, yeah, I do feel bad for you right now. And that was in the whole section of the film that I thought, eh. <laughs> so well, it still had its moments for me. Yeah, no, I I really loved it. I mean, and there were things that kind of stay with you. So you remember? So there's a little bit where a guy is looking out the window, and the one night I told you looked like Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, a, having a cigarette. Having a cigarette. You know, you're just observing him, and then there's this you know quite beautiful woman uh, behind, and she just embraces him. And actually, I can't remember anything more about that scene. I but think that's it just, about it. It felt lovely, right? Kind of, mm. you know, um, these are kind of ordinary people, you know, uh, finding a connection, yeah, and uh, a moment of value and love and, in, mm. yeah, in life. I, 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 yeah, I love that. And actually, that's somewhere where you think there's an opportunity for a joke here. Mm. And it could be just about anything. Yes. She could admonish him for having a cigarette or something like that. She just shares a cigarette with him and goes in and that's it. And, yeah. and actually, in, you know, in amongst this kind of bizarreness, there's this time for this human moment. Yeah. The bit with the mother and the baby, I think, is just like that. Yes. Where she's sat outside and the baby's in a pram and she's just playing with his feet and he's giggling away. Yes. And nothing happens. Yeah. And then it cuts away and something else happens. And yes. Yeah. I thought that, that, you know, there were moments of beauty and tenderness and connection mm. that we see. Um, and, you know, that, are, that, that in some ways are played out even w- between the two salesmen. Mm. Yeah. When they're saying, like, the opposite, you know. He's always crying. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's an understanding there and an acceptance, you know, of, of character. So, yeah. um, And then he apologises to him, yeah. which is nice. Yes. And that is actually nice, and I like that. Um, so, so, so I love it, and I think it's a film that is worth exploring further. Yes. Uh, well, you know, report back. Okay. <laughs> on that note, uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening, 
uh, it's worth saying that both uh, there are two uh, Anderson films, uh, including this one, uh, currently playing on movies. So uh, do have a look if uh, our uh, podcast has inspired some interest. Yes. Bye. No, no, I agree. You know, yeah, take it. You know, <laughs> take take Jose's lead, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for listening. Cheerio. Bye bye. <laughs>